0: Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad you joined us today. I'm going to be sharing a conversation I had a couple months ago with author Amanda Dykes. Amanda is a builder of blanket forts for her kids, a spinner of stories for her kids and her readers, and a drinker of tea all the time. Her debut novel was awarded the Christie Book of the Year for 2020, and she's been humbled and thankful to release two additional books since that novel. Amanda and I talked about her latest novel, which is called Yours is the Night. And as you listen to us talk, you'll understand why it's significant to this day. This episode is releasing on Veterans Day 2021. And, um, it is also the 100th anniversary today. If you're listening to this on release day, it's the 100th anniversary of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. So that the significance of that, um, to this book, to Amanda's book is explained in our interview. And so I hope you guys will listen and, enjoy that and really um, think about the importance of this day and what the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier meant. We give you some ways that you can commemorate that anniversary. Now, you'll notice during our interview that Amanda has a little co-author tagging along with her, so you can hear some background noise. But I just, I'm so thankful that um, authors feel comfortable bringing their kids on the show with me. So, because I have kids and I understand what it is to be a mom and try to accomplish some work. And I I think that the wonderful thing about the medium of podcasting is just, it can be so just so, so real that um, Amanda is talking to me about her books and her professional life while also, you know, wrangling a toddler. So enjoy that little glimpse into her everyday life. And Um, I just found her story, especially her story of how she found publishing success and ended up with the Book of the Year in 2020, um, the Christie Award Book of the Year. I just found that so inspiring and encouraging. So I hope that you guys do too. Here's my conversation with Amanda Dykes. Amanda, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, Allison. I'm so excited to be here with you.
0: Yeah, your latest novel, yours is the night, released on August third. Can you tell me about this book?
1: Sure. It's it's very different for me. You know, my books tend to hop around history, and this one landed in the Great War, which is World War One. Mm-hmm. And so, it takes place in 1918, um, right at the tail end of the war. Of course, back then they didn't know if it would be the tail end of the war or not because it was the war that would not end. Right. And so it's, it's when America enters the war and it follows this band of travelers as there's a soldier, an American soldier, a chaplain, a reporter who's embedded with, with their garrison and um, a young woman who they find in the forest near the front of the war. And, mm. The way they find her is all these men, and this is the war where there were trenches, so trenches and trench warfare. And this is basically these men lived underground in these soggy, um, rodent-infested, disease-ridden battlefields. And so they were not living in ideal circumstances, and they begin to hear this beautiful, pure enchanting voice singing a lullaby sometimes at night and of course you know they think are we all going crazy and then when some of them are in the forest getting lumber one night they discover her and she's kind of in peril and she can't stay there because war is encroaching on this forest where she lives and they need to find a way to get her to safety and that in itself is a problem because where is safety in the middle of a world war (laughs) So right. it follows a journey they set out on foot um, from the war front to Paris and it explores themes of friendship and just each of each of these characters has their own viewpoint. So it uh-huh. it was different for me in that way, too. I haven't um, written a book with quite so many viewpoints before.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was really
1: fun to play with just the different voicings and how do these characters interact with each other, and how are they foils for each other, and um, how do they get to Paris, and what happens along the way, and there's a romance involved as well, mm-hmm. and um, that is, that's the basis of this story, and a lot of adventure happens along the way.
0: Cool, that sounds amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so what was your inspiration? What gave you the idea for this novel?
1: You know, it's so it's such a blur. I don't know if you experience this with your writing, but looking back, it's hard to trace sometimes an exact pinpointed time when, aha, this is the next story, like a moment like that. Um, I know that I was exploring World War One and trench warfare, and usually research informs the story a lot for me. And so I'll just start poking around like, hmm, what was going on? What was the world like at this time? What were people facing? Right, and uh, and my sister actually at the time she's a history teacher and she had been able to go to this symposium during the summer at the World War One Museum here in America, and she learned so much. And she was telling me all about it and how, in many ways, it was what they call a gentleman's war, meaning there are these opposing sides, but Europe is, in the grand scheme of things, not a big geographic place. And so some of these men went to school together and now they're on opposing sides. You know, they were all at the same boarding schools or things like that, and so they're fighting their friends. And things would happen like there would be a battle, and then later on the side who was victorious would fly over and drop a garland, you know, out of sympathy because yes, they're fighting a war, but nobody's really thrilled to be fighting the war. Mm. And so it's things like that, just very bittersweet contrasts and nuances that I thought there's, there's a story here and I want to find what it is.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you had mentioned to me in um, previously that 2021 marks the 100th anniversary of the tomb of the unknown soldier. um, And that's in Arlington national cemetery near Washington, D.C., Um, so how does that relate to your book or the decisions around releasing your book? Yes.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because that was integral as well. Um, Mm. the tomb of the unknown soldier is such a remarkable, um, place. It's, it's, it's a place, it's a memorial, but it's so much more. It's like this living Testament to the sacrifice of the soldiers and their families and, um, so we are not the only country who has one. They kind of began right right after World War One, and mm. some of the European allies began it. Italy has one. England has one. Um, I believe most of the allies now have one, and I think probably Germany too. Wow! And so we we established ours in twenty. Not, sorry, not twenty twenty one. Nineteen twenty one. Right. And they were very purposeful with every single little element that went into it. They brought the remains of four soldiers from different, the the four different battlefields. Um, There were many battlefields, but four major battlefields. They brought these remains and then they had a a very uh, symbolic ceremony to choose who would be our unknown soldier. And all of these four were from unmarked graves and they had a veteran from a decorated veteran from World War One walk along this row of caskets and place a spray of white roses on one of them. And the white roses were symbolic too, because they weren't red. It was a very, to be blunt, it was a very bloody war. And so they yeah. thought, we don't want red roses. It conjures to mind everything they've been through. And so they, they had white roses to represent the absence of all those horrors that they had faced and mm. the wish to honor and commemorate you know, those sacrifices and and let this be something that was a refuge for so many. And so that's how they chose chose the soldier. And just with that 100th, 100th anniversary coming up here in November, it's November 11th, mm-hmm. um, you know, this was about two years prior to that when I was realizing that just through poking around research again and found myself at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier on a research trip for a different book. Um, uh, We just happened to fly into Washington, D.C., and we were able to go see that because I thought, I don't want to write this book that's on my mind without actually visiting there first. It just felt well, almost like I was compelled to. Mm. And then miraculously, I ended up there and sitting on those steps, watching the ceremony, watching the laying of the wreath and the changing of the guard and yeah, um, just was so deeply moved, even more so in person than than I had been reading about it. Mm-hmm. And so, wanting to honor that, I thought, how can you write a book about about this without kind of undoing the beauty of the anonymity? You know, I didn't want to fictionalize the soldier who's in the tomb because I, I believe that um, that's part of the purpose is nobody knows who it is, and therefore it's the monument and the soldier inside are symbolic and meaningful to so many families because they can wonder is that our loved one Mm -hmm. and so I didn't want to really um mess with that (laughs) uh, for lack of a better term but I thought you know I I could explore the type of soldier who was there the type of people um of the American soldier and others as well like the chaplain and the reporter and and just what was it like for them? What moved me the most is the contrast between this extreme place of honor where somebody is guarding you 24-7, rain or shine. Mm-hmm. They've been through hurricanes, they've witnessed terrorist attacks from you know, just kept on guarding through all of that. Yeah. And the contrast of that, where the guards walk 21 steps in each direction. And then turn 21 steps again back and forth all day long, never stopping unless it's for the changing of the guard or the laying of the wreaths. And the reason for that is that Mm -hmm. 21 is symbolic of the 21 gun salute, which is the highest military honor. Mm -hmm. So they're receiving the highest military honor on and on time without end over and over in this pristine setting that is so full of just reverence and respect and peace. And you contrast that to picture those trenches the sounds of the shells incoming you know losing friends um, wondering if your life is going to be lost just the darkness and the the peril of that in contrast with this final resting place is so moving and so i wanted to honor that in some way through story so that is a big big part of where the story came from
0: mm. wow that's so amazing and i have i've have been there
1: have
0: you? Yeah, it's been about twenty years since I've been there, but um, so I was in college. Yeah, <laughs> to age oh, myself. Yeah, but it was such. Yeah, it is so moving to see that, and it and really you're, is. You're right. The contrast with what they faced at the end, whoever it was, whoever, whatever right. he faced at the end of his life.
1: Right. Well, and then even from there, I wrote about this in the um the author's note at the end of the book, but. There's a journalist at the time who documented the whole the whole thing from when the soldiers' remains were brought back to America and they just every honor given. I have a little I have a little co-author with me, if anyone can hear I, yeah.
0: little sounds in the background. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> and he was with me every step through the writing of this book because he was born right after I turned in the movie script. <laughs> but um back to what I was saying. There is a journalist who w- documented from the moment the soldiers' remains were brought back to America um, and they, just visitors lining up, I think they said four, four abreast, so four people side by side in lines that wrapped around blocks in Washington, D.C., waiting to come pay their respects uh, to where the soldier was in the rotunda of the Capitol for um, several days. Mm. And, and then they had a procession to carry the soldier from there to Arlington, so all the way up Pennsylvania Avenue, and the members of Congress were there, and the president was there, all, just, you could imagine this hushed reverence over our nation's capital, which is yeah. not a quiet place, you know, there's, it's a no. busy place. And to imagine just a blanket of hush over the entire city, and everybody, everybody, everybody Humbling themselves, walking on foot to make this journey with this soldier, and then they had <clears throat> seas of people at Arlington National Cemetery covering just those rolling hills, singing a hymn together. Um, you know, praying, They were led in prayer. They had mm-hmm. war mothers lay flowers on what essentially is a grave. Yeah. Um, they had. They had dignitaries from. Italy and France, I believe, come and give their highest military
0: mm. honors
1: to the soldier, which you can see there. Um, there's a little little museum there at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. You can see all of this. And it really just picturing yourself there. If anyone has a chance to read that series of articles, it is just also so moving. Wow. I'm trying to remember the, the writer's name. I'm looking in the author's note right now. <laughs> Kirk L. Simpson, and he won the Pulitzer Prize for that coverage. Oh wow. Yeah. Really amazing to read.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to looking into that yeah. myself. So that's interesting. This episode is releasing on November eleventh. Oh my so. goodness. Wow. That's <laughs> Well, I mean, I kinda arranged it that way, but I love yeah. that.
1: Thank you for doing that. It's very beautiful.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it was helpful. It's helpful to have some like reasons to release on certain days. So
1: oh, good. Um, it was it's good.
0: good. But um So today, for people who are listening to it on the day it's releasing, is the 100th anniversary. And what are some ways that people can remember and honor that anniversary?
1: Oh, my goodness. What a great question. Well, um, you know, soldiers in America came from all over. They came from New York City. They came from the South, the Midwest, the West. And so I would look into your own town and see if there's a war memorial. Mm. You could bring a wreath there. Um, Bring flowers there. You could take that this as a time to encourage present day soldiers, you know, write them Mm -hmm. notes of thanks. Um, You can if you want to share the experience of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier with your family, check out on YouTube. They are doing some remarkable things to commemorate the anniversary as well. In fact, the I believe it's called the Society of the Honor Guard for the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Together with I think Congress has arranged for several um commemorative events. So I would check out their website, the Society of the Honor Guard for the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, which is made of former and present tomb guards. Mm, and in order wow. to be a tomb guard, it's no small thing. It is a very, very big deal that people have to truly dedicate themselves to and jump through a lot of really big hoops <laughs> too this honor and they really do consider it an honor to get to perform this duty. And so check that out, see what they're doing. There may be some live webcams um, or streaming coverage of these things. I know that some are even in the days leading up to. So when this releases, I bet there will be video clips available of um, people who have gone back to France where the choosing ceremony took place um, and Sort of followed that pilgrimage of the soldier's journey. Mm. So look into all of that. Um, yeah, even just paying a visit to to a graveyard in your town, a cemetery in your town, and taking time to read read the headstones. You know, I don't, that's probably a, a personal thing. If that sounds um, strange to you, don't do it. <laughs> but if it sounds just to to pause and remember somebody and what they right. gave. Even if they didn't give their life on the battlefield, if they were a survivor and were able to go on and live more life, they still gave so much and bore the weight of what they witnessed and went through for the rest of their lives. Yes. So um, there's also wreaths across America that many, many cemeteries take part in and um, there may be volunteer opportunities with that. I think that's usually in December. So there's still time to take part in that um, laying wreaths in
0: local Mm, to
1: honor soldiers locally. Mm Um, so those are just some ideas off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, that's great. Good ideas. And we'll link to as much of that as we can in the show notes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so kind of changing tracks here. And I want to talk a little bit about like you as a writer. Um, so you mentioned that during your research process is when a lot of the story, takes yes. place or comes becomes clear to you. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about that research and writing process?
1: Sure. So it's a little different for every book, but typically it'll start with the grain of an idea. And oftentimes it's setting mm-hmm. for whatever reason, a certain setting, or <laughs> in this case, a historical event or monument, um, just catches my attention enough that kind of signals me like, You need to look into this. Mm -hmm. And so then I start just devouring whatever I can get my hands on. And so that takes the form of books. A lot of times I'll start out with an audio book just because um, with kids in the home, you know, reading time is at a a premium. And so I can do audio books a little bit more feasibly. Yeah. So I'll kind of start with like a broad overview history, whatever it is, and just listen and think, like, what what jumps out here? And then whatever it is, I hone in on that and research that a little more. And it's kind of just a process that repeats itself like that until I get really, really zoomed in on something and find mm-hmm. the story. And another fun thing to do is to read children's books, whether it's a picture book or a middle grade novel that either takes place there or or even if it's a nonfiction um, informational text. They're so informative. They're quick to read. There's a lot of visuals with them. They're so yeah. useful. And you can you can get a quick overview for what it is and figure out, is this what I need to look into right now or not? Mm-hmm. So children's books are great. They're like my secret weapon.
0: Yeah, I've <laughs> Plus, heard I just other...
1: love... Have you heard others say that too? Uh,
0: yeah, I've heard at least one other author has mentioned that. Oh, that's so they like to start there. Kind that's of so to funny. See. I've never
1: heard anyone else say that. I love that. <laughs> that's so fun. Primary sources, such as letters from the time, and we're Mm -hmm. so blessed with how much is available online these days, whether it's through Library of Congress or just genealogical records or whatever. So many people have made available journals and letters and receipts and newspaper articles that you can go back and see what was actually happening at this time in this place. And um, so primary sources are really, really helpful. And um, even just reading what was available at the time, like literature from the time, um, Mm -hmm. poetry from the time, what songs were around, just immersing um, ourselves as much as we can, you know, as authors, so that we in turn can help readers be immersed in that time. um, I think is a good way to approach it. So, movies, you know, watching movies or shows or documentaries. I watched a lot of documentaries about World War I. (laughs) Mm. Um, And I'm very, very thankful for the researchers and historians out there who have done so much to preserve, you know, all this important history. We're very lucky.
0: Yes. Yeah. So then when you start writing the story, you usually have the bulk of your research done, and then you start writing...
1: That's a funny question because I, well, I guess the answer is funny because I, I think I have the bulk of my research done uh, and yeah. then I discover along the way, oh no, <laughs> so, right. so much more to learn. <laughs> that's what I'm kind of, that's the point I'm at right now with my work in progress. I've been researching mm-hmm. it for a year and a half, maybe two years now, just um, on and off between other uh, editing rounds on other books and things. And I thought I, I could probably teach a college course on this now. I laughably because I know that I couldn't <laughs> because I'm really I don't my brain can't hold that much information so um it starts to leak the information back out and I have to remember or go find again what was that, oh, that I was gonna put yeah. here and then when you get down to the nitty-gritty of writing and you think okay what what in the world would they be eating right now in this scene in this time what those little details that can really get you
0: <laughs> right sure yeah.
1: So a lot of times I'll put placeholders in because if I allow myself to research every detail as it comes up, I will never get the project done. So I'll put um, in all caps mm-hmm. to myself, like food name. And then I know on the next pass of edits to go back and go research, okay, what food would this have been? Or shrubbery, which shrubbery would it have been? <laughs> or what, You know, whatever it needs to be, just stick a placeholder in. And I know a lot of writers do that.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, so Amanda, have you always loved to write? How did you get started?
1: I have always loved to write. Um, and and I always wanted to write a book. But I always mm-hmm. kind of thought, oh, I have, I love to write, but I don't have any story ideas. And I kind of just, I think I had this notion in my head that as a reader, you know, lifelong reader growing up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: oh, a book must come to an author magically fully formed. And if that (laughs) happens, it means you're an author. (laughs) When really it's like an uphill battle of mining for those details and discovering the story. And so if you have an idea, you could be an author. You just need to do the work and follow the process Mm -hmm. and the journey. And so I've always wanted to, and finally told myself, okay, I need to stop Wanting to and just try it, and it's one of those things that I think is best learned by doing, and mm-hmm. of course, absolutely studying too. But applying whatever you learn as you do it, and so um, I have two full novels that have never been published. Those are the ones that I learned on, and of course, I'm always still learning, right? But um, yeah, they were my they were my classroom, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and that was about that was over 10 years ago that i started and mm-hmm. i thought the other thing i think that can keep people from writing or doing any big project is this is a big project it's intimidating it's never going to get done and it kind of boils down to you know what if if we if we say that and choose that then that's right it's never going to get done but if you just start then who knows what might happen a year from now a little bit at a time it could be done and that right. year is going to pass by anyway. So why not give it a try? Yeah. And so that's that's how I started. And it's just gone from there.
0: Oh, that's great. And then how did you eventually get, was it the third manuscript that you ended up getting published?
1: Let me think. Um, I had, it was a long journey for me. I had those, I had one finished manuscript when I was blessed to um, have an agent offer to represent me. And that's Wendy Lawton. I've been with her ever since. And I love her. And we had Mm -hmm. some interest on that project and it just um, for various reasons, never went any went anywhere. And then I wrote another one because we had a publisher say, we like this first book, but we already have one coming out sort of similar. Can she write something else? (laughs) So I wrote something Mm -hmm. else. And then, um, by that time, things at the publishing house had shifted and, um, that one never went anywhere. (laughs) And so over, over the years, you know, you know how publishing goes, like you'll hear of an opportunity here or there, or there'll be interest here or there, different things like, like that other situation, do you have something else you could show us? So I have a lot of different proposals and partially written books where I wrote sample chapters and we waited to hear. Mm -hmm. And then, um. After a good amount of years and trying and persevering and you know, telling myself to hang in there and um, you know, praying, like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And I always felt like yes, keep going. I hit this point where I thought, you know, it's always felt like if the answer is yes to publication, then I'll great, what a, what an answered prayer. And if the answer is no, then still that's an answered prayer, but I always felt, you know, there'll be kind of a sadness with that. And I think that's Pretty natural. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But oddly enough, there came a point where I thought, you know, if the answer is no, could it be that that is also a joyful thing simply because of, um, you know, the God that I believe in is a good God. Mm-hmm. And can I believe that a no answer from him is just as full of joy and potential mm-hmm. and reason that a yes? And I felt so much peace. And I even thought, like, I wonder if he's guiding me towards um, doing something different, you know, letting this go, trusting that for all these years, for whatever reason, he had me on this path and it's okay if it doesn't turn out how I thought it might. Right. And, as, and that happened. And then um, my agent called and said, Hey, would you be interested in going to this writing conference? We have a scholarship available. And I thought that's, that's funny. You know, right after I feel like I wonder if God is leading me away from this, this opportunity lands in my lap and it was going to be in Texas. And we were already going to Texas that week for a wedding. It was just uncanny. All the things that lined up to make it happen. And that um, at the same time, I had this story idea about a month or two before that, that came out of the blue. It was like nothing I had ever tried before. Couldn't even figure out what genre really it went in. And So I, I started to work on it and, um, that's the idea that I took to the conference and there was a lot of interest in it at the conference. And a few months later we had offers from a couple different publishing houses on it and it blew my mind, you know, after years and years of maybe, yeah, this looks good, but then no, (laughs) to have that happen was, um, really surprising and humbling and so I thought, okay, I guess that too is an answer to prayer that God's saying, don't stop right now. You know, Maybe <laughs> there will come a day when he says, stop, and I'll stop. And that will be good right. too. Um, but that's, that's how that came about. And that became the, my debut novel, which was Whose Ways These Are. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's the origin story.
0: <laughs> and that book, your debut novel won the Christie Book of the year for twenty twenty. So after I mean, yes. how many years, how many years of um, um, you know, it, wandering <laughs> almost a decade, so um, oh my goodness, yeah,
1: the year that my agent so kindly signed me um with faith in me that I maybe didn't even have or faith faith in probably not even in me, just that something was at work here. Um, that was. It will be ten years this spring since I signed with her. And so there's writing before that and lots of ups yes. and downs and maybes and perhaps and in, in the end no answers. Mm-hmm. Um almost a decade of that. So yeah, to any writers out
0: there who are on this road,
1: hang in there if you feel like this is what you're led to do. <laughs>
0: yeah. It is not a quick path usually. It's
1: not. Yeah. Sometimes first, you know, there's always the the outlier cases, and that's great too, right. but you, like, you, like you said, usually it's pretty, pretty winding r- road.
0: Yes. So how did it then, how did it feel to win that award after all that? Oh
1: my goodness. It just time. felt surreal and it still feels surreal. It's been almost a year now since that happened. The Christie Awards, um, I'm trying to think. By the time this airs, um, the the 2021 ceremony will have just Gone on, it's at the end of October, yes, yeah, um, and so sorry, my little co-authors oh. snuggling up here. If, if you guys, hear <laughs> it's okay. um, it felt surreal, I still can't believe it, and it really just is a testament to if we're faithful and show up and do the work in front of us, then it's going to accomplish what whatever it was meant to accomplish in that mm-hmm. case. For for whatever reason it somehow got that book of the year award and I still like I said, I still truly can't believe it. Um yeah. but honestly, if it touches one person's heart in a time when they're needing it, what amazing what an amazing and humbling honor that is. And we may yeah. hear about it or we may not, but we just there's so much trust involved in this, and that mm-hmm. could be a beautiful thing too, and that can kind of keep us going when things get tough. Yes. Yeah.
0: So can you tell us anything about what you're working on now?
1: Yes, it's I'm um, this one oh my goodness, I'm wrestling with it so much. It is like the wiliest <laughs> manuscript yet. I just oh and I think it's because of the setting and it so it takes place. I haven't really announced this on social media. I probably will have by the time this airs. Um, but it takes place in Venice, Italy. and Venice is a truly magical place and when you when you learn about it it is so almost fantastical like you really feel like you're reading a book of fairy tales (laughs) just (laughs) the things that went on the council of the 10 doesn't it just sound like shrouded in in mystery these are the people who would make secretive decisions and verdicts and then the the doge who's like kind of the prince or king Mm -hmm. every year he would there was this big grand ceremony of boats, because it's Venice and everything's in boats. Yes. A uh, procession out to the edge of the Venetian lagoon where the Adriatic Sea is. And mm-hmm. he would he would throw a ring into the sea and um repeat the same words every year. And I can't remember off the top of my head what they were, but he was performing he was wedding himself to the sea. He was espousing the sea it's very (laughs) symbolic a lot of times the doge was actually married to like a human (laughs) right so it's all symbolic um and the idea originally had come from a pope who suggested it but it's it's to express honor to the sea because their livelihood depended on the sea whether it was Mm. from trade or fishing or um even trading and information. Venice was a very, very powerful place because of the port city that it was. And it had all come from nothing. It was basically a swamp before anybody moved there. And they wow. moved there because they were being persecuted elsewhere. And they mm-hmm. thought the, the Huns and all these other people who are attacking us will not go to a swamp. It's too miserable. And so they took refuge by basically building islands in the middle of a swamp, <laughs> And so from this this place of muck and mire comes what we see now, which is this architectural jewel and yes. truly storied place. And to me, it's so, so um, echoes with what so often happens in our lives. You know, it can come from a place of, I don't want to call us swamps, but it can come from a place where, you know, mistakes have been made or um, places that yeah. need redemption. And when a master storyteller, master architect, um, which for in my faith, you know, um, is God, he can redeem yes. it into something not just like cobbled together and sort of functional, but something truly remarkable. And mm-hmm. so anyway, Venice really speaks to me in that way. And I think it is because of how vastly captivating and storied and layered that it is that I'm having... A hard time wrestling it into one book.
0: <laughs> right? And
1: so it's very intimidating, but every book feels intimidating in its own way. I have to remind myself of that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So
0: Sounds cool though. Great setting.
1: Thank you. It doesn't have a title yet. It might by the time this comes out. Um, I just mm-hmm. sent in my titling questionnaire yesterday and Bethany House will take that and do their magic with it, with their mm. titling committee and It will be out in fall slash winter of 2022. I don't know an exact month yet.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. So, yeah. So this is a question I ask all of my guests. Oh, fun. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present?
1: Oh, I think it can give us so much courage, truly. I think, Mm. um, actually, there's this is something that I've thought long and I've never had the right words to encapsulate it, but there's a quote that's been floating around a lot lately from CS Lewis. And of course he didn't say it recently. He said it back, back in his day. Um, yeah. And if you just kind of Google the quote, how do you live in a tom- how do you live in an atomic age? And mm-hmm. those were the the very, very real and, scary fears that the world was facing at the time mm-hmm. he spoke these words and he said it's about I'm going to butcher it in my paraphrase so really do look it up but I will said, it's, it's the same as how you lived in people lived in times of plague or in times of war or you know you go on you you refuse to let darkness and fear, stop us from doing good things and reaching out to people and creating things of beauty that mm-hmm. that fight back against the darkness. And, you know, to look at history through story um, truly can help us imagine and understand that others have gone before us and faced really, really big things and also experienced mm-hmm. really, really deep joys. And there's so much comfort to me in the fact that this human experience is not, not um, unique to us. Our circumstances are unique to us. You know, our lives are unique, beautifully unique, but right. we are not in like an unprecedented, unprecedented, excuse me, unprecedented. <laughs> this is why I write and don't talk.
0: <laughs> You're doing <laughs> a great job talking. Thank you.
1: <laughs> we are not in an unprecedented place of, um, daunting things in, you know, uh, mm-hmm. all through history, whatever may come in the future, whatever's happened in the past, they're all different, but people have learned how to face hard things and continue on with hope, with joy. And we get to be keepers of those things. And people who say, look, even when things are hard, this world is full of wonder. Um, and not like in a candy coated, right um, happy-go-lucky everything's fine stick my head in the sand kind of a way but almost as if we're putting having courage enough to look around and see miracles and wonders abounding even in the midst of the shadows and almost use that as armor or you know breathing in courage to go we're we're gonna be okay you know there is love here um there is courage here there's goodness here this is a really remarkable life that we have been allowed to live. And just like people in history have done before us, there's something to do here. There's something remarkable to do here. And that wow. actually was really the the battle cry when I wrote um, Set the Stars Alight, which was my second novel. It's all mm-hmm. about that, just that idea of wonder and wo- like almost like gritty wonder. <laughs> I know that sounds like mm-hmm. an oxymoron, but... You know we live in a gritty world. what place yeah. does wonder have there and I think it has a very real and purposeful place and we see that a lot through history and through just observing our our world and paying attention to how miraculous it truly is and how remarkable people are
0: oh yeah, I love that i that's just such a great thing to remember
1: you might yeah that's kind of the maybe because it's a personal struggle for me too you know I think as writers and many creative people whatever their art forms are part of our job is to be seers people who see things people who notice things and Mm -hmm. sometimes um you know as a writer part of your job too is to put yourself in other people's shoes so that you can reflect whatever that situation is realistically and so that can begin to feel heavy at times and Mm -hmm. and Um, even just in real world scenarios, turning on the news, you know, it can really, really weigh heavy on anybody. And so learning to use wonder as um, a way to push back against that. It's been a personal gift to me. And I think you probably are sensing it's just something I'm very passionate about. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I won't continue to talk your ear off about it, but I love that question that you asked.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love your answer. That's um, a unique answer. So Well, thank you. It's a good thing to think about.
1: It is for sure.
0: Yeah. So Amanda, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you?
1: Oh, thanks for asking. Um, They can go to my website, www.amandadykes.com. It's just my name and um, sign up for my newsletter. I try to send it out monthly and, um, with various features that hopefully will be of interest to book loving people, and um, one thing that's super fun is every month I include a—it's called a deadline dinner. It's a dinner recipe idea from another author. So every every month it's somebody different of what do you like to cook on deadline, um, like a, a season mm-hmm. that is a pressureful really season <laughs> yeah. because we all have those, whatever our profession is, and yes. I always tell them it could be. Because it's a change of creative gears. It could be because it's beautiful. It could be because it's easy. It could be because it's comfort food. Whatever the reason is. And so that's a fun feature that goes out. So newsletter mm-hmm. and then on social media. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. And it's at Amanda Spins Stories. And I think there's un- underscore in between each of those words. Amanda underscore spins underscore stories.
0: Okay. And
1: I'm on Facebook too. But it's um, primarily just the same posts that I post on Instagram. Right. So, right. yeah.
0: Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for being with us today. This was great.
1: Thank you. This was such a joy. I really loved getting to talk with you.
0: And I have to hand it to you. You have amazing focus and concentra- concentration. <laughs> I, I don't think I could do that with a, a little toddler in the room.
1: Thank you. Well, thanks you for um, going. <laughs> being so easygoing with our background noise. <laughs> oh, it's
0: fine. It's, part it comes with the territory i guess thanks for understanding Um, momming and writing podcasts. podcast exactly (laughs) okay thanks amanda thank you okay friends well i was really impressed with her ability to concentrate while also um taking care of her child i i want to thank you guys for listening to the show and i hope that you're enjoying it you know, lately I've been kind of pushing Patreon to um, support the show monetarily, and I just want to give a quick shout out to a um, a new patron we have. Her name is Crystal Cottle, and she is um, has become a friend of mine um, via like online means. We haven't met in person yet, but I'm so thankful to her for supporting the show, and um, I want to encourage you to check out my Patreon at. Patreon.com slash Allison Treat. That's Allison with one L. And you can always get there from the show notes. I link to it there. And I appreciate every one of my patrons. I know it's no small thing to support me with your checkbook. Thank you so much. Um, and also, you can get some wonderful benefits by becoming a patron. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I don't want to keep belaboring the fact. But I do want to tell you that, you know, if, if you can't help out monetarily, I completely understand that. But there are still... Other like quick, easy ways that you can support the show and help me if you're enjoying it. Um, and one of the one of the biggest ways is by not only subscribing or following the show and receiving it every week and listening, um, but also by leaving a review. A review it it doesn't take it's free for you to leave a review, and it doesn't take much of your time. It can take I don't know a minute, maybe it can be. As simple as this beautiful review by Myra, who wrote, this is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Allison's voice is filled with warmth. Thank you. And makes this a joy to listen to. I love all of the information she finds out from authors. A must listen for this lover of historical fiction. Thank you, Myra. That is the sweetest. Um, Or it can be super short, like um, someone else who... It was 1776 Patriot Reviews just simply wrote great podcast. And even that can help drive up the numbers of people who will see the podcast and maybe listen and enjoy it. So guys, there are some ways that you can really help out without even spending a dime. Thank you for listening, though. I don't take it lightly that you gave this time to my show when there are so many other things you could be doing or things you can choose to put in your earbuds. Thank you so much. And um, if you want to join our Facebook group, it's Facebook. It's at Facebook, and you just search for historical fiction unpacked podcast group, um, or you can go to the show notes and there will be a link there. And do visit the show notes because I'll have links to Amanda's books and also to some of the resources that she mentioned in the interview. Now, if you listen to this show every week, you know that I end it. With a quote. And it is wonderful when my guest gives me a hint about what the quote could be because that makes my job a little bit easier. So, of course, I'm going to share with you the C.S. Lewis quote that Amanda mentioned. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's rather lengthy, but you can look it up on your own. And I think it just applies so much to any time in history. You know, what they were concerned about when he was asked the question, how are we to live in an atomic age? They were concerned about um, an atomic war, the atomic bomb. But we can apply this to living in the age of COVID or whatever else is concerning us that we think is going to be the end of our earthly body. So let me read what C.S. Lewis said. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. So my friends, let's live the way C.S. Lewis exhorted us to... And keep reading historical fiction. I will talk to you again next week.